This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 14. And welcome to the, to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Guns.com. Today is actually Friday, October 27th, 2023, as of the recording of this episode. Glad to be with you all and have today's special guest and co-host, Brian Eastridge of the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. Or did I get that backwards again? No, you did it right this time. (laughs) I frequently, I go both ways, on-duty, off-duty, off-duty, on-duty. Yeah, welcome, Brian. Thanks, man. I just remember it as if you walk into a room, the light is typically off and you turn it on. So you start with off anyway. You've, um, I know you said that to me before and I still <laughs> like, well, wait, am I running? Am I walking into the room? The light's already on or is it off already? <laughs> but now I, you know I what I should do, do now? It, it, dude, you are permanently off duty now. I should just remember that. Lead with Well, that. there's that. And uh, I've hosted the podcast for almost two and a half years and i still have to look at my notes and go off duty on duty okay uh and people ask like at shot show people are asked why is it off duty on duty and i say very simply the web domain for on duty off duty was 9x over what off duty on duty was so (laughs) sometimes the market demands right (laughs) Well, I'm glad to have you with me today. Uh, we're we're here to actually discuss. Uh, we're going to discuss pocket carry of guns. Uh, through that, I know that we're going to touch on your one of your favorite subjects of revolvers. Um, I know that you frequently carry in a pocket with a revolver. I've seen you do it. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, so that's that's kind of what we're going to hit today. It's a subject that we I don't think we've hit in a detailed you know manner um ever on this show and it's inspired by the most recent shooter ready challenge video i posted on shooterreadychallenge.com which was all about encouraging people to do some dry practice drawing from the pocket and i think in that video i i did it mostly with like a it was a ruger lcp2 um, but I've also pocket carried a J-Frame revolver, little uh, model 442, a bunch as well. Uh, the only reason I didn't do the J-Frame for this particular shooter challenge video is the previous month I did a J-Frame, but drawing that from a from a standard holster mounted on a, on an Enigma on my waistband. But uh, so that's that's the subject today. Today's episode sponsored by those same companies that sponsor shooter challenge, which number one is the laser activated shot reporter software laserapp.com is their website it's where you can find them also barrelblock.com that's barrel block spelled with just a k barrel b-l-o-k.com and also dryfireproshop.com those are our sponsors of today's episode i may interrupt us uh mid mid roll to do some additional sponsor messages associated with that so brian bro um you're kind of, you know, becoming one of those figureheads in the industry, uh, you know, and alongside a, a number of other great names, uh, Daryl Bolke, uh, Caleb Giddings, um, 
Chuck Haggard. I mean, you're getting out there, bro, and teaching a bunch of revolver classes and stuff, which makes me happy. You know, I I love seeing you get out there and share the wisdom with the masses. So, you know, the more we do that, the more the, the better we all get. So, tell us um, as we talk about pocket carry. Where do, where do you want to start with that? Like just the concept of carrying a gun in a pocket. What, what's a good starting place and what do people need to be thinking first and foremost if they're considering that as a carry option? You know, I think that uh, a lot of people do it. I don't think a lot of people actually think about what it is they're doing and what that means from an application standpoint. Yeah, well, it's it's not a new concept. Um, we think of the LE aspect of confronting an unknown individual or you know having an unknown contact muck as as uh chuck haggard and craig douglas like managing an unknown contact uh it's the first thing you hear cops say take your hands out of your pockets they didn't learn that lesson the easy way that somebody right. paid dearly for that right um so we can leverage a little bit of that borrow from the criminal aspect and, and I mean, there are a lot of lessons learned to be, uh, to be had from, uh, the criminal element, right? It's so it's not a new concept and it dates back hundreds of years, right? Uh, with bicycle guns. And if you look at, uh, like the old West, I mean, there were hideout, they'd call them a hideout gun or something that, that gentlemen would wear in a coat pocket to be able to deploy when they couldn't get a single action army or a, you know, an, a, a Smith number three out of their holster. Right. It was mm-hmm. just another option they had uh, even, and, and it's even permeated into uh, some of the classic Western movies we watch like big Jake, he mm-hmm. gets robbed. Give me your wallet. And he deploys a, a pocket gun gut shoots a bad guy and, you know, makes some snarky comment about you're going to have a belly ache all winter yeah, and he, you know, when he draws, he says, "I'll give you my wallet, and here's a little something extra." Yeah. Um, so that didn't happen by accident. These were lessons that people learned and shared, and and permeated. So it's not a new concept, right? Um, the semi-automatic pistol in a pocket is is a relatively new concept, right. but new being in the last. 50 years. I mean, we had a gun manufacturer make a gun for a pocket called the backup, uh, you know, AMT, AMT. in the seventies. Yep. Right. Yep. So the concept of it, of pocket carry is not something new, nor is revolvers, nor is most of the stuff that we reinvent today to our social climate or, or whatever. So. Well, you even have, I mean, if we're really, Going back in history, I mean, what the nineteen oh three Colt pocket hammer, pocket model, yeah, they they yeah, and that one kind of gets overlooked a little bit sometimes. I think it does, and there are a lot of bad people that met their demise to that gun. Yeah, uh, in thirty two auto, you know, what did we just reinvent the thirty two auto with (laughs) thirty super carry? So it's it's a cyclical thing, right? you know, I love it when people go, well, I got this new staccato with a comp and I'm like, uh, okay, let's go back in history. It's not a new concept. It's just refined. Um, 
I really don't think we've had many advances in the firearms world uh, really since the turn of the century, except for ammunition quality and site designs. Other yep. than that, really, we have, we've just made ergonomic upgrades, functional upgrades. And I borrowed that from a conversation with Daryl Bolke uh, and Wayne Dobbs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, two that we really didn't go over in the pre-show, but those guys are, and Mark Fricky, those guys are very big influences on me because they're, they are the torch carriers of like the lost knowledge. Yeah. And uh, I didn't step into that realm by accident. A lot of those things I discovered through police work and off duty carry. Um, and I had no idea that that, that culture was kind of dying off. Uh, and I just happened to be one of the younger people that caught some of that late seventies cop knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and so you're, we and, and, and you are your own, uh, torch bearer in this respect, you know, younger guy that's trying to carry a lot of that knowledge forward. Um, and another young guy would be, you know, I mentioned him earlier, Caleb Giddings, who I know you're well acquainted with. Uh, he's younger than me, by the way. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm 44. I think he just turned 41. So he's really, um, and he's way more prevalent and prominent in the industry. Uh, I consider him a, a friend, uh, and he he and I talk about this, you know, like esoterica with with revolvers a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we've come to the realization, like, uh, who's next? Because we're in our forties. Uh, Daryl Wayne, Mark. I mean, that spans from late fifties to early seventies uh, in age. So. Mm-hmm. If somebody doesn't pick up the the banner, it's it's going to die on the vine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so here's a fair question to ask. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, some things just come and go. Like, why is it important? Because I think that you have a response to this that we don't let things like revolvers or you know. Again, today's topic is pocket carry, but why is it important we don't let uh, revolvers die? Well, it, it it's not even the, the manufacturers will always have some offering in that that category. So yesterday, and, and this is kind of a side note, I went to a major sporting goods outlet, and I saw about fifty percent of their offerings were revolvers. 25 to 20 let's let's call it 30 percent just for easy math were small compact autos so there's 80 percent of their their overall market or what they are responding to in consumer market and then about 20 percent were mid-size and full-size service guns so you mentioned the lcp and the lcp max and all these uh, like the Smith and Wesson bodyguards and the shields and the, this and the, that overwhelmingly that was their offerings at the gun counter. Um, so revolvers have kind of made an uptick. And if we don't have people that have a deep understanding of that, the knowledge of how to maintain them, carry them effectively, shoot them effectively, service them, etc., it, it goes away. Um, and, and I've seen this with, uh, the 2011, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's come back and 
it's strong, mm-hmm. uh, which thanks to a couple of manufacturers and a couple of boutique manufacturers, it never went away. But the institutional knowledge of that platform has died off a lot. And now we have we have a 2011 that that is suitable to put in a cop's duty holster. Mm-hmm. Never thought I'd see that day. But even talking to the cops that were getting them when I was on my exit, I was like, please stop dropping the slide on an empty chamber. Please stop doing that. Why? Well, my institutional knowledge tells me that can damage the gun over time. And that, that nice crisp trigger press you get goes away with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we had a 15, 20 year gap where that was not in a cop's holster, even in the format of a single stack. Right. So same thing with revolvers, you know, don't whip the cylinder closed. Uh, Make sure you carry a brush. If you're training with it to clean under the star and the, you know, the forcing cone area. Uh, if you're going to dry press it, don't do it on a rimfire. I can't tell you the number of people I've seen with a rimfire 22. And you're like, brother, there's a reason we quit doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those lessons were made by the sacrifice of people that didn't know better. Yep. Um, so anyway. Yeah. 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 I think something I observed though, just kind of, uh, socially or culturally, Brian is it's become a popularized position by a lot of folks of, and and, I, and it kind of makes sense, you know, in a world where you've got micro sized guns, say a P three sixty five is just an example with ten rounds in a little bitty mag, which just never nobody did that really before, um, at least successfully, um, right. You're like, well, why would I carry a five-shot J-frame revolver in my pocket when I just carry a 365 with 10 plus one? You know, right. so so what is, in other words, what is the case to be made today for something like a revolver, especially in the context of like what what where does it shine in an application standpoint that uh, makes a strong case for it? So. There, there are several aspects to this, and some of them I don't speak on because I'm not the like. Mm-hmm. When we talk about entangled fighting, that's mm-hmm. that's right. not my wheelhouse. Not call it, yeah, yeah. Call call Cecil or Chuck or Paul Sharp. You know, one of those dudes. Um, they can tell you all about the advantages of it. Uh, for me, one, it is, and I got I never really quantified this until I hung out with Daryl and Caleb and some of these guys. It's very easy to verify with a manual of arms that the gun is 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 empty. Um, I worked in a range house as an adjunct that had bullet holes in the floor from people that are professional semi-auto carriers every day of their life that got the whole removed the source of ammunition, then racked the slide part out of order. And these are people that are professional. With a revolver, the manual of arms is very simple. Push press, pull, open it and look like that. There's no remove the source of ammunition, rack the slide to the rear, visually and physically inspect the chamber. Mm -hmm. Like that process, when a revolver is open, it's very easy to see if there's brass in it, it's loaded. Mm -hmm. If there's, if you see light through the holes, it's not. (laughs) So 
that's that's one benefit. The other benefit is it's not ammunition dependent for function. Um, and that's a huge one when it comes to entangled fighting people with uh, maybe a reduced grip strength or, you know, structural issues that they can't get behind a semi-auto to make the gun function or an, a light loaded round in a batch of ammo that goes poof and you get a maybe the bullet exits the barrel, but the slide doesn't cycle. Yep. Um, how many videos do we see? And we get a lot from the LE world where a semi-automatic pistol, the most reliable pistol ever made in mankind, gets shot from a position that's compromised and the gun chokes. I just saw one last week with a Glock. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them with M&Ps, Glocks, Takata, yeah. all the big ones. But but to make the uh, point of like the most reliable semi-automatic right. you know, platform that everybody and their mama carries on duty, you know, so... Yeah, it happens. Yeah, and it never happens on the flat range when we get the perfect grip, the perfect stance, the perfect sight alignment, sight picture, everything goes, unless there's a magazine issue or something like that. Yep. I, I can think of entire academies that I, I adjuncted for that we never saw a self-induced malfunction. Yep. Um, and that's a testament to the quality of semi-autos today, but laying down in a car with the gun in some attitude that I don't have bone and muscle structure behind it. Mm-hmm. Those, or this is my worst day and I get a crappy grip on the gun and, and I induce a malfunction in it. And I've seen that time and time and time again with a revolver. If the cylinder will turn and the ammunition is okay, chances are that gun's going to work. Um, now reliability factor uh haney mcmood one of my best friends on earth he says you know revolvers do well with neglect not abuse semi-autos do great with abuse but not neglect Mm -hmm. so if a semi-auto is thrown out of a glock used to throw them out of helicopters load them and shoot them that's abuse right but if I load that semi-auto pistol with the striker cocked and I set it in a nightstand and 35 years later, I need to use it. Is it questionable at that mm-hmm. point? Probably, right? right. right? Yep. Um, a revolver. My granddad had a uh, Model 36-1 that I have to this day that he loaded in 1976. I got it in 2004 with the ammunition that was in it and and. It was green and corroded. I pulled the trigger five times and it went bang five times. And I went, now I got to beat the cartridges out of it. Right. (laughs) But point being, it was neglected for 30 plus years. Right. So that's actually, you know, and I've heard you mention that from Hanny, uh, that statement, maybe even Hanny said Mm -hmm. it to me. I don't know. Um, And I think that there's a lot of, I think that makes a lot of sense because uh, I think in today's world, we are in the heyday of so many things one of those being a plethora of pretty good quality semi-automatic pistols that will run and run and run for thousands and thousands of rounds with very little in the way of maintenance, mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive when you think about it. Um, but, you know, I mean, meanwhile, I had my neighbor actually a year or two ago that 
out of nowhere, he's like, I mean, his father passed away and he's like, Hey, I inherited my dad's old revolver and it hasn't been touched in forever. And I'm not an expert on those. I mean, I would bring a revolver to you, you know, before I bring it to myself for sure. But I'm just, you know, he, he knows I'm a gun guy and he, he's like, can you just look this thing over, make sure it like is going to function and that it's safe. And I mean, it needs a little, it, you know, I took it apart and lubricated some parts and put it all back together and click, 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 click. And I'm like, yeah, it's good to go, bro. You know, like have fun with it. Um, and it was just, it now, was just oh, go ahead. They won't, they won't abide high volume. Right. Like a semi auto. That's, that's the point here, right? Yeah. But, yeah. You start talking they, about shooting 5,000 rounds. Can you imagine 5,000 rounds for the revolver? Yeah. What do you need to do that revolver to get it to go 5,000 rounds? Oh, man. It, and it depends on the gun. Um, sure. You know, if uh, I've got some of the archives that from Wayne Dobbs where he sent me a test of a Ruger Speed 6, a 686, and some other gun that w- a major federal agency did. And... They were like, no maintenance. We're just going to shoot them till they break. Now, had they had proper maintenance, a lot of these guns would have survived a lot longer. Sure. But immediately, like 2,500 rounds in a Smith & Wesson, that's a lot uh, for no maintenance. No, okay, I need to check the side plate screws. I need to brush the forcing cone, make sure the, the cylinder doesn't bind at the flash gap. I need to you know, brush the recoil shield on the back of the gun down so that it doesn't get primer debris and lock the gun up. Uh, and a Ruger, either GP 100 or security six went thousands of rounds before, and they were shooting plus P like plus plus loads, which oddly enough are really close to what our nine millimeter standard service loads are. So mm. there's one for your G whiz. Mm. Look at bullet weights in 38 special and nine millimeter. Look at load data on them. And what you're going to find is your standard service load of nine millimeter bumps into 357 mag territory in a shootable platform versus your 38. You're just getting into the cusp of nine millimeter service loads. So there again, though, it's one of those examples of they were abusing these revolvers. They weren't neglecting them. Uh, And to get a Smith to run that much, you're going to have to stop, pause, clean the forcing cone, clean it up, uh, maybe make some timing adjustments if you know how to do that to keep those guns serviceable. Now, you shoot your standard low-pressure wad cutter ammunition, 148, 158, at 750, 800 feet per second. Those guns will last a long time. But you got to maintain them. You got to, you know, brush the chambers out, brush the forcing cone out, clean the barrel once in a while. I, I laugh at guys that go, man, I went through like a thousand round shooting school last week with my Glock. My hands hurt. I'm like, that's the equivalent of about a 200 round revolver course, right? <laughs> like, yep. it's, a, it, it's just a different discipline. Um, so, you know, when you try to apply a revolver to a high volume class, it's not going to perform the way a semi-auto is. Now, you, you try to involve a full service size semi-auto into an entanglement. It's not going to perform as well as maybe a snub revolver will. Right. Compromised so, grip, 
uh, maybe yeah. making contact with clothing or interference from you know from from your threat from your, the opposite party. Yeah. Um, you know, getting pressed in against somebody, pushing out a battery, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of things. I mean, a lot of those things can be mitigated with training, obviously. But they, yeah, at absolutely. the same time, you know, that's it, you're exactly right. That's that's a great environment where something like a revolver shines, especially so. when you don't have a big square slab to hand to your opponent to hold on to, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and it's all. What is your mission? What is your daily mission? Um, I had a class that I joint did at Guardian with Chuck Haggard. And I said, uh, would any one of you today take a Walther PDP, a VP9, something like that, and throw it into your pocket? They're like, no, that's stupid. I go, okay, so you're going to have to put a holster on, which I commend you for that. You know, a KSG armory holster, by the way. Uh, You're going to have to, which if you've got a holster, you're going to have a belt or some type of system that supports the gun, an enigma, whatever. Uh, How many of y'all would just throw a a semi-auto in your, in your pocket to go get your mail? And everybody's like, "Mm -mm." I said, how many of y'all would feel okay taking an 856 ultralight or a J frame and going, Hey, there's no keys or anything in my front pocket. I got to go get my mail. And I don't have to get jocked up to do that. And I said, you know, I live in a place where I've got a double walled compound. I live in essentially in a condo community, but my mailbox is outside and there are feral dogs and feral people out there. (laughs) Do I want to, if I got a set of gym shorts on, do I want to have to throw all that gear on to walk a hundred yards and go get my mail? They're like, no. And I said, how many of y'all would do that with an LCR 22 with eight rounds of 20? good quality 22 ammo and you see like light bulbs come on like oh it fits that mission profile really well uh is it optimal no is it something that i would say everybody needs to do no is it me being armed as a responsible citizen absolutely and i can do that with minimal support equipment uh, yep. so there's, there's a big advantage there over a semi-auto. Yep. Um, how many people do we see in entangled gunfights? Uh, like just daily that, you know, through whether it be asp or one of these other channels that dissects gunfights, how many of those start out with a physical confrontation that we now have to introduce a gun into? Yep. So food yep. for thought, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on there. And, and this is where this uh, concept of, you know, say pocket carry uh, yeah. that we're talking about today becomes real, real relevant. Uh, it's certainly the context I find myself in periodically. I mean, most days, you know, truth be told, I, I get up, I get dressed, I put on pants that have a belt and belt loops, and I throw on my normal holster and I carry a normal gun. But there are absolutely days where it's like, well, that's not today. Uh, today's, a, you know, we're just chilling around the house. Uh, it's, you know, yeah. like it, it's, uh, yeah, gym shorts, uh, sweatpants, something of that nature. I can reach into my little pistol vault, grab my my Model 442, Five rounds, 38 special, 148 grain water cutters. It'll get the job done. It always sits in there just with a pocket holster. Even though I could just maybe chuck it in the pocket and be okay for, you know, a quick little run. I I just grab it out. Pocket holster, 
uh, uh, mica holster that you recommended to me works yeah. great. You know, throw that in the pocket. Away we go. We're we're off to the races, and and you're I, armed. I think at one time in my life, I yeah, I'm armed. I think at one time in my life, I would have felt a little unsure about that from a skill standpoint of, Ooh, you know, how effective can I really be with five shots of 38 special out of, out of a short barrel revolver, uh, where I am now. And I'm granted where I am now is well beyond where probably most people, you know, need to be from a basic, you know, skill requirement, but I have zero qualms about that and, and know what I can do with it know my limitations still, but know I can get good work done. And that's, uh, that's, you know, that's a, a reassuring place to be, at least for me, because I don't feel particularly undergunned. I mean, I wouldn't want to maybe go into a, you know, meet a movie theater with that, you know, is my option if something were to go down. But, uh, but in a lot of contexts, I think it's uh, Daryl Bolke, right. That, that says, uh, talks about the use of something like this, uh, you know, a pocket gun, a small, you know, low capacity revolver, let's say as a, as a space making, um, option, you know, or, or a get out of trouble option. Yeah. Right. Like, and I just need this to, to get myself out of trouble and, you know, we're not getting into gunfights here kind of thing. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I recently, I was involved in kind of a sort of high profile incident in Oklahoma where, I, I was carrying two revolvers because the weight penalty for that was less than carrying a, a, a double stack semi-auto. And it was, for me, it was a mental shift of, I'm not going to go looking for bad guys. I'm just going to make sure if one befalls me, I've got the equipment to handle it. But the bulk of my day was spent doing the mundane. Um, and we had an incident pop off and I went, my job ain't to go hunt bad guy. My mm-hmm. job is to make sure these people get to safety. Um, right. And there's a picture of me floating around on the internet and I've got my hand in a pocket and people are like, what are you doing? Stand there with your hand in the pocket. And I go, I have a gun in a full firing grip ready to deploy. It's very difficult to do that from an appendix rig and not offend people's social norms. Um, I was walking around with my hand in my pocket on a gun. Uh, that's something I do really often. If I'm large crowd, stuff like that. How many people walk around with their hands in their pockets? All kinds of people, the drawback. And you brought this up. I thought it was really good because it was a consideration. I hadn't thought about a whole lot. Getting your hands from a neutral position into a pocket can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the dry fire challenge this week. Yep. And I was like, you know, that's, that's a really valid concern. Um, and that's one of the reasons usually if I have one revolver on my person, I've got two, mm-hmm. uh, one that I can access from a pocket and one that I can access somewhere else. And the weight and capacity penalty I, I bear for that is essentially like with an eight shot 22 and a five shot revolver in my pocket, I've got 13 rounds. So I've got, what's your typical G 43 X carrier has in one platform. Mm-hmm. Well, I spread that across two. That's comfortable to carry. It's not, uh, it, and I'm, I'm less prone to inducing a malfunction on the gun if I need it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the role I'm in now, I, I tell people a lot. I go, I see a problem over there. 
that ain't my problem. That's somebody else's problem now. So I, and a lot of the research we see is three, three rounds, three seconds, three yards. Well, five shot revolver covers that pretty well. Um, and if I need to reload, I haul out another revolver, right? Like it's, (laughs) it's a thing, but, uh, but there are some, it doesn't fit everybody's lifestyle. Um, but it fits a lot more of them than I think take like take notice of it. Mm-hmm. But again, that institutional flag that guys like Wayne and Daryl and Fricky and Hanny and some of these other people carry Caleb Gettings is there's an option out here that fits a lot more of your life than a lot of people give, give credence to. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I would say that uh, it gets touched on less often, um, you know, another, I guess, an, adv- an advantage for the revolver in this context of deep carry or pocket carry or something to that effect is this, I mean, you've, we've, we've alluded to it here, but yeah. it's the safety aspect. Now, let me touch on that some more here in a second, but I'm, I'm not doing my sponsors a service here by uh, failing to you know, do a little sponsor read here. So, uh, guys, uh, today's sp- episode sponsored by LaserApp.com, L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. They make the Shooter Raid Challenge possible and uh, been, you know, doing this for several years now and, and proud to, to work with these guys on that. Um, LASR app, I mean, that's been my tool for gathering training data in dry practice, which is you know, everybody knows the importance of dry dry fire or dry practice. Um, everyone knows they should be doing it, and many of you probably do do it. But how often are you able to do it and then actually get some, you know, extract some meaningful information from that? And that's one area where Laser App shines because you can actually measure hits on target on a, you know, virtual target, if you will. But you can also get times or data. And that's, I mean, you you referred to my example of, hey, let's test. I mean, one of the huge advantages of pocket carry is I can do exactly what you just talked about, Brian. Start with my hand on gun in pocket. I mean, that's like a, that's like a half second draw, you know? Bam, you know, it just comes out of pocket and, you know, you're, you're, you're off to the races firing your first shot. So it's one of the, fastest draws is when you can start i mean that is the fastest draw when you can start with your hand on the gun right uh at the same time it's like well let's put that up against what does it look like if i am pocket carrying and i need and my hands are somewhere else so now i have to go in excuse me into the pocket and retrieve the gun it definitely looks a lot slower uh the cool thing is with practice you can still be pretty darn proficient um if you put in the work um but how would we be you know we would we're able to test that in dry fire with laser app doing it with, you know, you can go watch it on the shoot rate challenge video. If you want shootratechallenge.com. So laserapp.com sponsor today. And while we're at it, um, safe, responsible, dry practice, I believe should be done where possible with a barrel block installed. Now, not as easy to do with revolvers, but you know, um, I've got one, right. In fact, I've, I've taken to where Brian for my semi-autos and do my dry practice and I do dry practice every day uh, of some form. It might just be a handful of draws and, you know, target presentations, pick up sites, press trigger. Uh, but I do something like that every day. And I just carry one of these in my back pocket because I don't even notice it's there. And then those times where it's like, hey, 
let's let you know i i would do that i've done that in this room many times and i'm sitting here at my computer working and it's like ah you know let's take a break and do some dry fire pull the gun out safely in a safe direction unload show clear drop that in the chamber a barrel block that is and safe responsible dry fire practice barrelblock.com so appreciate our sponsors i'm going to mention our sponsor here in a little bit back to where i was going um i wanted the, to oh, go touch for on something yes L- lasr the company yep are good people 100%. i re- i i really admire it not only their product but just the people behind that product are absolutely gold in the in the just in the human being factor 100%. so ben love you buddy you're you're doing great things so yeah. and barrel block too those dudes are good too right yeah. I, I mean they're but, all right yeah they're not bad i but i really admire ben I, and yep. i really just his work ethic his personality just a solid gold human being so yep so back to where we were in the conversation, I was touching on the the safety aspect of, you know, you're you're carrying deep carry, you're carrying in a pocket or something like that. Uh, you know, in the example on the shoot rate challenge video I did, I was using an LCP two. Well, that's a it's a hand, it's actually a hammer fired gun, but it's always cocked. It's basically single action, right? Yeah. Um, which com- compared to the OG, you know, the original LCP is a lot easier to use. It shoots a lot easier. The trigger's a lot better. Um, that's one thing that, you know, kind of was a knock on the LCP was, yeah, not the easiest. You're talking about a pretty small gun. <laughs> with a pretty <laughs> that, stout trigger. That, with a very stout trigger. I mean, when you have a small gun that weighs like 12 ounces and then you have a 12 to 16 pound crunchy double action trigger or something, I mean, that is not the easiest thing in the world to shoot. On top of that, sites that are virtually non-existent. So, uh, you know, this is actually, I think, a, a great place where they they we've we we got guns, we got people. In fact, somebody Jeff Tack on YouTube commented he's carrying a he's pocket carrying a three sixty five these days. It's an excellent choice, I think, for that application as well. However, uh, there's something to be said for a double action only uh, revolver. Or I guess a double action, anything. But revolvers are certainly, you know, the ideal pocket carry choice for revolver is something that's double action only. Either hammer, you know, non-exposed hammer, hammerless, or something that's been bobbed, you know, for the ease of drawing it out of the pocket or out of the holster. But, uh, you know, you got that long travel double action trigger that uh, just a little bit extra security for those deeper applications, yeah, and I don't look at them as a long and heavy trigger as much as I look at them from the perspective mm-hmm. of they're a deliberate trigger. Yep. Well, yeah, and so to that point, um, and I think I said long trigger, right? The cool thing is you can have a good, safe, deliberate trigger present on many of these revolvers. Uh, and even with just a little bit of work, and some of them are not bad from the factory, but just with a little bit of work, you can make them into a, a very nice, easy to use, easy to press, still deliberate, still safe, uh, still a fair amount of travel, but they can be very, very shootable. Um, I mean, like that 442 I bought, Brian, that you've looked at, um, that's a basic, you know, it's a $400 gun or less if you get a good deal on them. 
I think I paid like 360 for mine or something. Really, really like that's like throwaway territory for a gun. Right. That thing, I mean, I bought it used, but as far as I can tell, it's just a worn in factory trigger. I, I can run my finger, your, you know, I can run that trigger press all day long and not really get particularly tired doing it. It's really not a bad trigger, but it's a safer trigger. Meanwhile, to get a safer trigger in a semi-automatic, they're, they usually suck, you know? So right. the point is, is you can, I, I feel like there's a case we made for these revolvers in this type of context that you can have a, a little bit extra safety insurance on the trigger standpoint, but still have it be usable and shooter friendly. Whereas usually on the semi-auto side, I mean, there's definitely some exceptions to that. The 365, for example, I think is, you know, game changing in that regard. And even this gentleman, Jeff said that he started pocket carrying a shield. Also not a bad trigger, but at the end of the day, which one are you willing to throw in a pocket without a holster? You know, Uh, right. Like Um, you, you used that example earlier. I wouldn't do that with a 365. That's for sure. No, nor would I. <laughs> and I, I have a 365. I have a G. I have Glocks of all flavor. Um, you know, I'm a gun enthusiast. I have. I try to have one of everything and two of most things. Right, like we've talked about in the past. Um, the advantages to me now are we are we have the Glock model of revolvers. And what I mean by that is we have revolvers that come with almost no pride of ownership. When you open the box, it's just a tool <laughs> um, versus our vintage revolvers that we, I, I call them 401k pieces. And then we have pound puppy rescues that are kind of the used police trading guns. But now I can find a Taurus eight fifty six at most major gun shops. And oddly enough, I can find them readily available at most most gun shops. The 442, 642 Smiths, um, I can find those just about at any major sporting goods store. And I posed the question in Chuck and I's Rule 1 gun class. I said, who is buying these small autos and these small five-shot revolvers? And people are like, oh, cops, this, that, and Chuck delivers the magnum opus with the Ruger LCP was the number one selling semi-auto handgun for five years in a row. Short answer is everybody's buying these. Nobody is shooting them at the gun range. <laughs> That's right? the truth right there. And over half the people that attended that block said, I said, what do you carry every day? Oh, well, I've got a, you know, a five shot Smith because I, I work at home. And it just stays on my desk. But you're, you've not been offered an avenue to train with that outside of a niche circle. Yeah, yep. yeah. I got a mid-sized gun that I train with, and it's a semi-auto. And then the number of people that went, well, I've got a Ruger LCP at home. I hate the trigger, and I don't like this, the sights. And I go, if we're at bad breath distance where most of these encounters happen, we don't go, there's a bad guy 125 yards away. I need to shoot him, dispatch him with my VP9 or whatever. <laughs> and I'm not knocking any of these brands. I'm just, I go at, at typical gunfight, not average, typical gunfight di- distance. I need to have some way to confirm sites. I need to have some 
way to carry the gun to deliver it. Most of these guns fit in a category that actually answer that question for a lot of people, but they're not the gun that's easiest to shoot. And there's not a lot of people out there showing people how to do that. So in the Ruger LCP, for example, I've had one for years. I shoot it much like I shoot a J frame revolver thumb down. It's a heavy trigger. I've got to just keep it in motion, keep it in motion. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very deliberate. There is n- never going to be the question. Did you mean to shoot that? Well, not, right. a, not never, but <laughs> the odds of somebody going, I didn't mean to shoot that gun. They drop dramatically. Right. Um, and, and there again, I think it fits a role for a lot of people that gets really overlooked. So, and, and I'm not the subject matter expert on all of that. It just, the, as I go into retirement from having to like be in the prisoner taking business, if I'm having to be in the, the get away from me, I don't like that kind of business. Now, somebody else is the problem solver. I just need to, to handle what's right in my face. Those guns really play a very advantageous role in it. Hmm. Yeah. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Um, talking about pocket carry some more. Let's talk about some some good options there. I think you know, based on what we've mentioned so far, some people are probably like, "Oh my gosh, these guys are on there preaching, you know, holsterless carry and stuff." Not at all. Not preaching that at all. Uh, mentioning that as perhaps a, an option in certain limited contexts, uh, but uh, definitely, you know, we advise uh, for responsible carry. So when you're carrying pocket, how are you doing it? What are you using? What are your tools? D- depending on the cut of my pants, I have two options that I use for a revolver. Uh, one is a wilderness holster. It's called the force option uh, that, Daryl Bulky came up with a holster that has an elastic outer band so that if I need to go in my pocket to not violate social norms, if somebody's just hitting me up for money, well, I can go in there and go. And he like, he takes a rubber band and puts like a dollar bill around an old hotel key, right? And sticks it in that elastic band. So somebody's now given him permission to go in that pocket. And now the next time that's like, now it advances to robbery. Let me get in my pocket. And what's coming out with it, I'll give you my wallet and a little something extra, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but that that is a great option for an LC, it, it'll fit an LCR or a, a J frame, like a 442, 642, Chief Special, whatever you want to call it. Um, in that vein of five shot Smith and Wessons, it'll also fit a Ruger LCR really well. But I can't wear that holster unless I'm wearing some really deep pocketed cargo pants, which is really what it's designed for. Uh, for me, most days, most jeans I have, most, you know, sorry to throw a brand, but like I wear a lot of Eddie Barrow cargo pants and, you know, much to the chagrin of Alex Sansone, the suited Judas. But uh, I, I wear a lot of the car- cargo shorts, cargo pants. Um the the mica holster from rob mica fits that role and it's not going to protect the trigger guard it's just a receptacle for the for the gun 
and you don't carry a bunch of other crap in your pocket but uh, you know it it dedicates that pocket to a to a revolver uh my buddy haney mcmood he carries in a little different format he's a bigger dude bigger pockets he carries a don hume holster leather holster that's fitted for a j frame that i gave him to replace his one that was worn out <laughs> side note uh <laughs> But his thing is, he goes, I usually have my off gun hand in, in my pocket. And and it doesn't make people key in that I have my hand on a gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, th- there's a lot of options out there, some better than others. Uh, the old sticky holsters. I know like Elite Survival makes a couple different versions. They're not bad. Uh, but with a revolver, much more forgiving than a semi-auto in that role. Mm-hmm. so you don't have to spend an inordinate amount of time going does this one form fit the trigger guard is it going to disable the trigger because a revolver has a very deliberate trigger so we can get around some of that it has to disable the gun completely now all of the holsters i just mentioned they add resistance to the cylinder and I've mm-hmm. tested this, put it in a pocket and start rolling the trigger. Mm-hmm. And you'll feel that that cylinder has a bind. So that adds to a level of deliberate action. Um, as far as semi-autos go, uh, I have a really small pocket holster from Blue Force that fits a G42 380. That's um, really good. Uh, I have some like Ravens that have different configurations for uh the actual like how we retain the holster not necessarily how we retain the gun clips on a trigger guard i carry some of those in like a fanny pack set up with a cable looped through it or you know a, a single uh oh what's that alti clip or something that's bol- it's kind of a modular setup but for that semi-auto i need to have that trigger guard protected completely <laughs> Right. Um, so there's a lot of options for that out there. Pocket carry, uh, with a, with a revolver, it's kind of just have something to put the gun in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the mica holster and the DB force option holster from wilderness, the top of the mouth of the holster that you insert the gun in, uh, will stay open when you withdraw the pistol. Uh, some of the other ones you have to actually withdraw the holster to reholster the pistol or the revolver and the holster and return it together. So yeah, there's, there's, and let's say, God forbid I'm, I'm wearing some sweatpants and I just need to go get the mail, but I want to be armed. Okay. I don't have to put any other support gear on. I can just drop a revolver in my pocket. There's nothing else in there. And walk 200 yards total to and from and nobody nobody got killed in the streets right mm-hmm. um so that fits like i said that fits the role for a lot of people yeah yep i agree you know and i'm glad you mentioned the uh cylinder uh, resistance uh piece too i mean that's one reason why for a lot of years i mean besides the fact that it was a different world and even the safety rules were verbalized differently but for a lot of time for a long time you know cops especially carried revolvers with the trigger and the trigger guard exposed 
You know, yeah. it's like, what the heck? But at the same time, like with a properly designed, properly made, properly fitted holster, that's that trigger's not going anywhere. Because right. you know, it, it's not gonna overcome the resistance of that cylinder to twist inside that that holster. And so Yeah, you look at the old like SD Myries and mm-hmm. and uh Brill style holsters and things like that. The trigger guard is wide open. The other thing that we've kind of gotten away from, which is not necessarily bad. Um, I can remember talking to old cops and every time they'd pull a revolver out, their finger went right on the right trigger. On the trigger. Yep. Like I said, it's a different world. It was. <laughs> um, we've learned from that yeah. uh, because, and I think a lot of that comes from, when we transitioned to striker fired semi-autos, that wasn't necessarily the best training course of action. Um, I see a lot of people to this day, they unload a revolver and they've got a finger on the trigger and you're like, Ooh, I don't like that. But at the same time, if I contextualize that into, they got 14 pounds and one inch between they're checking a revolver and disaster. Uh, now I don't teach that way. I don't condone that, but that was the culture up until the mid eighties. Um, because if you didn't have your finger on the trigger, you were already behind the curve. Yeah. Okay. Now we know better than that now. Right. Right. I mean, wasn't it Jeff Cooper that really canonized the, the, the rule of, you know, keep your finger off the trigger until, you know, you're on target. Right. And the other piece of that is, you know, he was a big advocate for single action 1911. Mm-hmm. That's you have an eighth of an inch and four and a half pounds between you and disaster. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a cop issued model 65 with a 14 to 16 pound double action trigger that takes an inch of movement, those guys were real keen on get your finger on it. So you're not trying to find it and smack it and move the gun and all that. I understand the context of that. Do I teach that to people now? Absolutely not. If they're at a low ready or some ready position, finger is straight. And the beauty of a revolver, there's a big round indicator on where your finger needs to go. I don't have to go, well, you need to feel steel polymer trick. No, you need to feel something around above your finger and your finger needs to be along the flat of a frame. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's amazing how intuitive that is to people. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel the round thing and I'm, my fingers off the trigger. Yep. Um, and it, you know, there's a lot of data and history out there that I can't quote, but a lot of agencies, when they switch to a double action, semi-auto double action first shot had a lot of negligent and accidental discharges mm-hmm. when they transitioned from revolvers. So, you know, the only way you're going to get that with a revolver is in a single action mode. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time it's, it's a deliberate action. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's why I'm a big advocate of it for pocket carry off body carry. Um, where maybe I don't have a holster, but I have a dedicated pocket, um, like a fanny pack or something. Would you consider putting a 365 in a fanny pack with the trigger guard exposed? No, no we'd get laughed off the, that's 
that's going to get you killed. That's going to get somebody hurt. Yep. You throw a, a K frame or a J frame with no exposed hammer into a dedicated pocket of a uh, fanny pack or I don't know, a purse, a man bag, whatever. Yep. Yeah. There's, you've got a layer of safety built in just from the operating system. Yep. So from the operating system, I like that. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. both from the, uh, just the way it operates, but also like it makes it, it's, it's honestly so much easier on our operating system. If you think Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. So I, it, what's the man, what's the malfunction manual of arms for, for an auto and how yep. many people screw it up Yep. versus if nothing happens, pull the trigger again, press again, <laughs> like, yeah, like yep. roll it again, start the process over. Yeah. Um, we get a misfire with semi-auto. It's an ordeal to get that back into a functional state with a revolver. Roll the trigger again. Yep. If nothing happens, just keep pressing until something does, or jettison it because it's broken. Um, the you know, OG double strike capability. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember when that was like marketed as a as a as a feature on some certain right. semi-automatics. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. This has been a thing for a long time, actually. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, our, our malfunction procedure, manual of arms. And Daryl codified that for me. He's like, man, the revolver has such a simple manual of arms. If it doesn't work, just do the same thing again. If you need to see if it's unloaded, you look at all, you look all at once at its ability to fire. Like if I hand a revolver to my mom, knowing nothing about guns, if I hand her one with one round in one chamber and I open the cylinder, she goes, that gun's loaded. Well, how do you know? Well, there's something that doesn't look like the rest of them. <laughs> right. I, sure. I, I never yep. would have codified that as an advantage, but the older I get, the more I go, oh man, it's real easy for me to teach a new shooter that's got BBs in it or that don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. We can't see that with a semi-auto. It's not readily visible to us. Yeah. Yep. All, all very valid points. Um, I got one more thing I'm going to ask you about, but, yeah. uh, uh, you know, our final episode sponsor today is dryfireproshop.com. Uh, it's actually a sister site to concealedcarry.com and our other brands and properties, but uh, it's a one-stop shop for anything, everything dry fire related. Uh, so you're looking for dry fire related products. You'll find actually barrel blocks on there. You'll find dummy rounds. You'll find all kinds of things at dryfireproshop.com. Hope that you guys check it out and uh, consider using that for your next dry fire needs purchases needed purchases. So dryfireproshop.com. The thing I was going to ask you about is, and this is revolver specific. uh, Well, I mean, we could talk, touch on a little bit with, uh, you know, some of the downsides, the, yeah, the downsides that exist with some semi, you know, very compact semi-automatic guns, especially those with very short barrels. Um, One of the things uh, that I like about the revolver is, and we touched on it a little bit earlier. The the ammunition is very simple, and like anything in a chamber is basically going to go bang. Um, that's 
a little bit trickier with the semi-automatic, especially with the smaller guns. And not only that, but we we know we get not super great performance out of a lot of the you know LCP sized guns, especially. Uh, I do think that modern ammunition has negated that to some extent, but it's not entirely you know a foolproof thing. Um, one thing that's cool is there's certain loads that have been working for a long time and still work today and have been shown with data to still be plenty effective in the context of especially 38 special type, you know, revolver use. So just touch a little bit, I think Brian, for those that are uninitiated on what are some of the, you know, the loads that, that you use today or that you recommend people use when carrying a revolver for uh, concealment use. Well, I'm, I'm going to back it up just a touch yep. uh, and say, like Chuck Haggard, Mark Fricky, they're my go-to for ballistic mm-hmm. data. Mm-hmm. I can pretty much pick any cartridge out there and go, "Hey, what does this do out of this this semi-auto?" And I'll either hear it works like hardball. Okay, noted. <laughs> it doesn't work as good as hardball. Okay, noted. There's a lot of boutique ammo out there that you go when you see the results in gel and it becomes very barrel length dependent in semi-autos. Yep. Um, The 365, uh, you know, I had to carry an issued load in that gun that was suboptimal for that platform, but that was the ammo I was required to carry in an agency environment. Yep. But the market kind of has responded to some of that. Eh, everything's been calibrated for four plus inch barrels. Uh, SIG was a big one. They even branded a box of ammo, the 365 ammo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that had some reasonably good performance, but you compromise. There's a balance between I have to make the gun work, I have to make the recoil manageable, and I have to make the bullet perform. And a lot of people look at hollow point ammunition and they think, Oh, well, that's made to, you know, for more death power or, or whatever, or more, <laughs> more, more stopping power, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I tell people the best you can ever hope for out of a hollow point bullet is that it responds like ball. <laughs> Anything after that is just icing on the cake. If it's, if it's reliable and it's accurate, the best we can hope for is it's going to punch a hole like hardball on on the other end of that is with a revolver revolver. Don't care. Mm-hmm. It's going to launch a BB. It doesn't need to push a slide back at a certain velocity to get the gun to reload itself. Um, so you can tailor with a, a revolver much easier than you can with a semi-auto because I let's be hundred percent honest. I've, I've checked some ammo in, uh, a Glock 19 that didn't work as well as it did in a 17 that worked like trash in a 26 mm-hmm. or a 43 X or a 42 or something like that. Uh, the industry has responded to correcting a lot of that stuff. Hey, this ammunition is made for a gun of this barrel length yep. to where it'll, it'll move the slide. It'll, it'll reload itself reliably. We'll get expansion to mitigate uh, rule four issues or penetration issues. Yep. Um, when we get into the revolver, it's the same thing. 
but it is way more forgiving because we don't have to worry about making the gun work. Does that make sense? Right? Like we don't, no slide mass to push back, no magazine to come into place and load another cartridge. So we can be a lot more ammunition tailored to the gun without as much headache. Um, For instance, uh, I tend to carry GA arms or federal gold metal match 148 grain wad cutters or Winchester. Even Winchester 148 wads do pretty good out of a sub two inch revolver. You put them in a four inch revolver, all of a sudden we're shooting you in the neighbor's cat, right? Like it's it's a freight train. Yep. Uh, we get into Too much velocity. Yeah, we get into 357 mag territory that dynamic changes drastically, but we can take that same 357 mag, put it in a small J frame that's chambered for it and essentially get mitigated velocities, but it's uncontrollable. You can't hang yeah. on to it. it. You can, but physically hold on to it, but you can't shoot it effectively. But with a revolver, you can balance that bullet performance to controllability factor without the gun factor yep yeah so yeah you know i remember a time so um i've got a small you know it's a taurus uh 605 i believe um chambered in 357 yeah because i remember thinking at one time when i had you know when i first got that thing years and years it's i've had that a long time it's actually one of my longest owned guns uh continuously um I, I got it and I'm like, I want to, I want a little revolver, you know, kind of for this thing we're talking about, like, oh, you know, something I can kind of, th- you know, throw in my pocket and, you know, go places with if I have to. But I remember thinking, well, it's, I'm going to get a 357 Magnum because like I need that ultra stopping power, you know, uh, you know, 38 special just sounded uh, like a poor choice to me from a stopping power, power uh, perspective. But uh, it's interesting, you know, and I know Mark Fricky has done a lot of uh, research on this very topic and probably still actually owe Mark, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity to come on the podcast and actually talk about this at length. But we could touch on it now. And that is that uh, um, it's, it's interesting that, the you know, just how your thought evolves over time, because I remember the first time I ever shot that 357 Magnum J-frame size pistol or revolver, and it flipping sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it's still, you know, a bit snappy, but it's controllable to run standard pressure 38 special wad cutters out of that same gun. Like it's actually almost enjoyable to shoot at that point. Um, and again, the thought at one time was, well, that's not going to, you know, provide the stopping power I require, but that's not quite, you know, true, is it? Well, you know, as we all go through the the learning curve of being a responsible citizen or being an educated firearms owner, and I'm not talking about I can operate it safely. I'm talking about we start getting into the weeds and the minutia. Mm-hmm. When we start looking at that, there's a lot of information out there that's kind of bunk, right? Yep. It's kind of not applicable. Um I had to shoot 357 mags through a J frame uh, for about 50 rounds a year. I was like, man, I don't like this at all, but it's stamped 357 mag. Well, a fella shows up with a chronograph 
and I shoot around a 357 and around a 38. And I went, that one's way more pleasant and it's sub 800 feet per second. That one out of a four inch gun will do 1250 or 1300 feet per second. But out of my little bitty pocket gun, it's doing 900. Is the juice worth the squeeze for a hundred feet per second? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, yeah. A follow-up shot is a pipe dream at that point. <laughs> um, and, and that's okay. Uh, but I do like the flexibility to be able to shoot maybe a lighter recoiling 357 mag, even sure. the case, even though the case is longer just for the ammunition flexibility. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, 38 special, you know, if you go back to world war one, world war two, there were a lot of bad guys that met a bad end to a Smith and Wesson victory model, a four inch gun with 130 grain ball, or maybe a wad cutter. Uh, the Brits were using wad cutter ammo back in the 1800s. I don't know if there were too many people that were unimpressed by being shot with one, you know? So you kind of got to balance some of that stuff. Um, But also accept with revolvers that modern performance ammo typically is calibrated for a four plus inch barrel. Yeah. Um, Even in semi-autos there, I, I got a real wake up with Chuck Haggard. I handed him, like three rounds of uh 147 grain gold dot and this is not a knock at gold dot i love that ammo still to this day i've got a bunch of it um out of a glock 17 it did one thing out of a glock 19 it did something else and out of a glock 43 it completely did something else so for the average consumer you've got to kind of put in a little effort when it comes to ammo, um, yeah. I, I'm more on the penetration side than I am the expansion and yep. stopping power side. I want it to get through 14 inches of gel through four layer denim. After that, yep. if it shoots accurate, done. Uh, a lot of your 357 mag loads out of a J frame with a modern performance hollow point. And not having the velocity to carry it there will do weird stuff. Uh, Whereas a lot of your target ammo out of that same, or what we used to call target ammo, out of that same gun will do really predictable outcomes. Um, and, And Mark and Chuck and some of those guys in that circle are really making strides to get that information available to people that want it. Yeah. Um, the other like DOJ NIJ standards that are published every year for ammunition that's published based on a four inch barrel service gun. So you may not have that level of predictability out of, out of something sub four inch, even in a semi auto. Yep. So, yeah, you know, but the thing here, yeah, you touched on a little bit. Um, and this is where I'm at too. I'm with you on the, I care primarily about the penetration part of the equation. And honestly, that's like the heaviest weighted part of FBI testing with ammunition is, does it fall within this range penetration wise, right? Which is basically 12 to 18 inches in calibrated ballistic gelatin. Uh, That's like, if it doesn't do that, especially if it falls short, 
that's a, mm -mm. if it goes over, it's like, mm, not ideal. Um, you know, we'd really want to, you know, cause it, we're looking for it to reach the important meaty bits, the vitals of the body and ideally not over penetrate because then we have rule four issues like you mentioned earlier. Um, what's fascinating to me is when, you know, my, my eyes started being open to the idea of out of your typical, um, you know, snub nose, J frame size revolvers, 148 grain wad cutter load, you know, 750, 800 feet per second does pretty darn good at meeting that objective of penetrating enough and not doing too much. And, <laughs> and, and not only that, it cuts holes arguably better than, you know, something with a rounder profile as well. So yeah, you're not going to benefit from the expansion, but you reach the, the important parts of the body consistently the way you need to. And in doing so, uh, you're, you're, you're punching a, a, a truly 38 or 357, you know, caliber sized hole, uh, in, into that target. And that's, uh, that's pretty darn good out of a very small, very concealable, um, very useful tool, defensive tool. Um, you can't always ask for that with, you know, from some of the other, uh, guns. I know some people only carry, uh, actual hardball, you know, FMJ ammo in their third, in their 380 autos. Cause number one, that's all they can get to run in it. Number two, anything else fails to expand anyway. So why, you know, pay for the expensive hollow point ammo that's not going to expand out of that gun anyway. So let's get the more reliable, better functioning ammo that honestly at the right velocity, FMJ 380 auto tends to fall, you know, within that ideal penetration range. Um, in many cases. So, so it's just, uh, it, there's a lot here and there's a lot of nuance and we could go deeper and deeper with it, I'm sure. But, uh, it's probably about time we, we get, uh, you know, Mark on Chuck's been on the podcast, probably ought to have him on and just talk, you know, general ballistics. I'd love to have yeah. Mark on and talk about, um, stuff that's specific, you know, to what he's researched in the last few years. Cause I think that'd be really eye opening as well. And but, Chuck, uh, Chuck is a, a, I consider him a friend, We've taught together now. Uh, one of the most funny moments I've I've ever had teaching was I had a, a, a guy come up to us and go, man, this was a really good class. How did you all come up with it? And I'm like, I called him on the phone. I said, can you do this? Yep. And here we are. <laughs> like, we didn't have to go write a curriculum and an outline. And a, I, we did 45 minutes of tactical improv crammed into two hours. <laughs> uh, but Chuck, a lot of times, I feel like gets pigeonholed into the pepper spray thing because he's so such a great, in-depth, knowledgeable person on that. Um, you know, when he's talking major capsaicinoids and it, it, it's it's even deep for me, right? <laughs> However... That dude is a ballistic expert. Mm -hmm. um, he is him and Mark Fricky. If I go just bought a G42, what ammo should I carry in this? Hey, I've been working with this. It does good. Okay. Well, I bought a box of that and some of this. I'll get you a few rounds to test. And Chuck is a wealth of information on that front that I, I, I don't think it gets the, the credence that it needs to. Yep. Uh, because he's so good on the pepper spray and unknown contacts thing that he gets like, oh, well, that's the pepper spray guy. No, that dude is a master ballistician. 
<laughs> as is Mark Fricky. And you put those two guys into a room together, there is a noticeable downdraft from the propellers on their hats. Uh, <laughs> you have to anchor the napkins at the table or they'll float away. <laughs> but you just, and Chuck, I'm going to throw him another plug. He does a, a class called Pocket Rockets. It's all about pocket carry and pocket carry configurations, revolvers, autos, different calibers. And at the end of the class, he breaks out clear ballistic gel, puts four layer denim over it. and gives you some reasonable amount of predictability. He will let you take ammunition from your magazine or yep. your pocket and go shoot this through my gun through that. And let, let me see what it does to the point now that he'll go. I can tell you it's going to flip. It's going to do a 180 degree flip. It's going to do this and it's going to yaw like this pow. And it'll do like, that's how in depth that dude's base of knowledge is. And I'm not taken away from the pepper spray, but I don't ever want to see Chuck get pigeonholed as just the pepper spray guy. (laughs) It's completely fair. I've, I've seen him do, uh, you know, that ballistics, uh, uh, I guess course, if you will. I mean, laboratory. I, it's a live yeah, laboratory. Yeah. is what it is. Um, I actually was just assisting as a as an assistant instructor after I had already taught my course blocks at the uh, Active Self Protection National Conference mm-hmm. a year or two ago. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but you know, yeah, he, his was one of those classes. I look around, I'm like, oh, he doesn't have an AI. I'll go over and help. I didn't even know what it was, and then here I am, and it's a ballistics course, and he's just, he's. I mean, talk about all those different things. Did the exact same thing you described where he's like, who's got ammo and you want to test? Okay, cool, great. Hand me some of that. Let's shoot it. Let's see what happens, you know. And it was a fantastic course block and definitely eye-opening, not just for myself, but but for everybody in attendance. I guarantee you people left, um, you know, with with the realization that, oh, I need to go buy something else uh, from an ammunition standpoint to, to be carrying in my, in my actual carry gun. Yeah. And how many times I, I tell this to people, I recommend anytime he does that block, I'm like, skip out of my skill builder, go over there and watch that because I can teach you to get reasonably accurate pretty quick, but you need to know what your bullet's going to do with some level of predictability and how often do you have the access like that? Yep. It may not be a full ballistics lab, but imagine like I'm Joe, nobody. And I go click, click. Here's two rounds out of my mag. Yep. Shoot it, shoot it out of this gun. I own one of those. I carry it in one of those. It's just not something that average consumer has access to. And Chuck does that. I'm like, that is a gold mine of information that he does. Yeah. So, one hundred percent. Well, good man. Hey, uh, we've touched on a lot of different things here today. I uh, hope it's been helpful and informative for listeners and viewers. Um, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast with me, Brian. I know we were trying to make it happen this week, and it took you know all the way till Friday to to get it done. But thank you for your time today. What What are some of the final parting uh, shots or words that you'd like to offer? Well. One, get out and take some classes. And if you're up in the Kansas area, Chuck Haggard's doing a pocket rocket block in in January at uh, a a range. It's called Integrity Elite Firearms. I'm plugging for one of my buddies uh, because I really believe that strongly in his information. Uh, 
Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundups coming up. It is, I think it's basically sold out. It's mm-hmm. at gun site November 16th through the 19th or somewhere 17th through the 20th. Yep. One of those week, weekend that before weekend, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, record sales this year. Uh, that's a great place to connect with revolvers for an all you can eat buffet. Um, I am now kind of pigeonholed as a revolver guy. <laughs> so, um, I I'm working on getting a class schedule out for next year. I do a one day practical revolver class. Uh, Daryl bulky and I are training, teaching a lot together. We did last year. We're going to do more this year, just simply based on demand. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Wayne Dobbs has got a class coming up in Granbury, Texas called rule Four pistol. Oddly enough. Um, uh, and then, Man, get out and support some of your local business and local gun range, gun ranges in general. Uh, go buy a magazine when you're up there. Go buy something because the the economy one is kind of hurting, but two, that aspect of the industry they're seeing the crunch as well. So if you got a little disposable income, go support your local gun club, local gun range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with all that. You know, one place that uh, folks can connect with and even train with many of the names you just mentioned is the 2024 Guardian Conference. Oh, yeah, 2024 <laughs> Guardian. <laughs> Which uh, I, I, I presume you'll be back. I Barring any injury or unforeseen circumstance, <laughs> I will be glad to be there. People can see firsthand that uh, you're not just the revolver guy. Uh, you've taught... Uh, I think we call it the Skill Builder 50 course now a couple of years in a row. And I know it's always a fan favorite. I mean, when we get our, uh, when we hear back from attendees about different classes they took and what they enjoyed the most and, you know, what they got the most out of, uh, Skill Skill Builder 50 uh, comes up quite often. So um, folks come out, train with Brian, train with Chuck, train with um, Wayne Dobbs. Eric Gale House, yeah. uh, maybe we should get DB involved too, you know. So, um, yeah, Guardian Conference 2024, tickets available already, guardianconference.com. There you go. Are they the sales links up? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we're, we're, you know, we already sold uh, 60 some odd plus spots uh, just in the first weekend. So, wow. Um, so, folks, uh, jump on that guardianconference.com in fact maybe we'll we haven't done it yet but maybe we should have chuck do the ballistic lab course block i think especially given that that conference draws a wide base of of skill levels um i i had a lot of people that that was their first formal training course offering something like that to them is the the bang for buck ROI investment on that is unbelievably good. Um, it, it, it was really funny to me, like going and just popping into my buddy's classes and going, do you know who that is? Like you guys just had like the guy that wrote the red dot course for gunsight teach you that. Yep. And they're like, Really? Like, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, you know, stuff like that. Um, yep. 
dudes like I think at Gunsight right now teaching. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think of. And we're talking about I Eric Gellhouse, by the way, folks. Yeah. Uh, when I think of ROI, return on investment, there, I don't think there's another conference out there that gives you the ROI that, that uh, the Guardian Conference does. Yeah. So it's affordable. You got chow. You got great instructors. And it, it's just a bang for buck. It is is unbelievable. And we had great weather this year. <laughs> yes. Phenomenal. So we're going to cross fingers and all that for, for next year to be, you know, much the same, we hope, weather-wise. I mean, first two years wasn't terrible as far as we didn't, like, get rained on and, you know, that kind of thing. It's just hot. This last year, though, it was great. Well, not to be too crude, but, you know, Michael Burgess, my dear friend that comes in just to volunteer an AI for me and anybody else, he looks at me one day and he goes, I don't think I've peed in like two days and I've drank <laughs> gallons of water. We were both like, uh, parched. But this year was, man, I, I went home hydrated and, and uh, you know, gut full of good chow and it was a good time. Yeah, indeed. So, so we hope to see many of you there next year. And uh, we'll, we'll be seeing Brian. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors. Uh, title sponsor, guns.com. Uh, episode sponsors today, laserapp.com, barrelblock.com, and dryfireproshop.com. Make sure you check out Brian Eastridge. You can find him on uh, on the socials. Uh, uh, wh- where are you putting up like training calendar stuff, dude? That is in transition right this very moment because uh, – Daryl Bulky and I are getting ready to do some joint venture stuff. Cool. We travel good together. We teach great together. Um, so we're going to hopefully by the first week of January, we'll have some scheduled stuff lined out with paywalls and pay links and cool. course descriptions. But uh, that'll likely come through uh, DB's shooting adventures on Facebook. Uh the off duty on duty on duty podcast will promote it there. My personal Facebook page, which is, is pretty wide open, honestly, um, that that's kind of the source it'll be. And, and of course I'm sure you, like through the range master network and you guys will, there'll be plenty of opportunity to see what our mm-hmm. training calendar is. And, and there's been talks of website, but, uh, we'll see how that goes. So, cool. but all right. Well, keep us keep us surprised on that. So, folks, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.